Moncrief on News Talk. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Uh, yes, it is time for parenting once again. Joanna Fortune uh, is with us again in the studio. Afternoon, Joanna. Afternoon, Sean. Here is your first question. We would be extremely grateful if you could address an ongoing issue with our daughter. She's two and a half. It's been six weeks since her daughter has had a bath. <laughs> we have tried everything, but she's absolutely terrified and ends up hurting herself when we even attempt to bathe her. I've been washing her with warm soapy water in a basin with a cloth which takes two people as she detests that too. I'm conscious that she isn't getting her hair washed properly but she simply thrashes around completely out of control. If I even attempt to wash her hair I am 35 weeks pregnant so I'm hoping that she settles before baby arrives but it's not looking likely as things stand currently. Her dad was away for most of February so she did have a bit of a disruption to her routine in terms of him not being around most days. I can't can't pinpoint any other event or reason for this fear. Both myself and her father brought her to the local pool last week. Couldn't even get her in her swimming costume. Never mind past the changing room. She is in the throes of the terrible twos stage, which we accept can be challenging developmentally and is inevitable with toddlers. But this phase doesn't seem to be passing. And I wonder what next steps we should take. Oh, it's a truckload of patience and perseverance, I'm afraid. And, you know, this kind of fear of bathing, fear of water, particularly bathing, though, there's actually a name for it. I think it's... um I'll mispronounce that, but I think it's something like ablutophobia, if I'm not mis- And the yeah, only reason right. I even know that is because I hear about this so much. Yeah. So it's actually in the archives of my brain mm. and it's most common around this age. I know it can begin one to two, but actually it kind of peaks around this toddlerhood, two-year-old stage. And there's loads of reasons for it. I mean, Partly, you know, they're becoming much more aware of their environment and changes in their environment. They're finding their no, they're finding their protest and all of that brain Mm -hmm. development that's going alongside it too. Like this parent refers to it as the terrible twos. Actually, it's, you know, developmentally normal, just parentally unpleasant. But that doesn't roll off the tongue as easy. But all of that combines to some of the quirks that we've talked about before, the children can decide that's the thing I'm now afraid of or that's the thing Mm. I'm going to resist. But this one in particular is really, really common. And I don't say that so you go, oh, well, I can relax then. It's easy because it's not. It's it's actually super hard because six weeks since she's had a bath is interesting, right? (laughs) You know, Um, she's only little. You're doing the whole soapy water. You're managing that. If you're even half managing it, you're Mm. doing okay. I remember, you know, um, a little person in my extended life who I know really well developed this around similar age. It went on for quite a while, I hate to tell you, but all kinds of creative things. But what cracked it in the end was using things like colourful bath bombs that, you know, made the water fizzy and a different colour and interesting and actually redirected the resistance to, oh, I'm actually interested in this. And there's an Irish store, they do a lot of eco-friendly product, um, Jiminy.ie, and they do really nice ones of those because you have to be careful with little kids and what's in them and all of that, obviously. So, you know, just being very mindful of that. Bath crayons, you know, are great as well. Um, They do come off. Oh, it takes a little bit of elbow (laughs) grease sometimes, I'm not going to lie to you, but they do come off. So if you're not in a rental property, that might be an option. Um, But the bath crayons, special toys, you can do that. I'm saying that for anyone else listening, because I'm quite sure if your child hasn't gotten the bath for six weeks, you've probably tried a lot of those things. Really, when you think about in the swimming pool, I'd nearly just park that. I'd leave that as a separate because mm. that this is a very sensory experience. There's a change in temperature. There's the idea of floating and not feeling yeah. yourself on solid ground. Even with things like showers, it's the sensation 
of water raining down on top of you. Like there's lots of things that you go, yeah, I get it from a sensory perspective that might not be nice for everybody. The key thing here is that you don't force, like don't insist, don't drag, don't get into a physical battle. Um, Let her sit and play with an empty tub. Just normalise it, you know, destigmatise it. You're going to have a baby very soon. Use the baby bath. She's still only two and a half. That might be a little bit more containing. She'll be able to feel her feet at one end, her her back at the other. It'll feel much easier. But equally, let her bath a baby doll. Get one of the ones that don't absorb water for your own sake. Um, You know, there are those out there. But let her play with this, in other words. But do not force it. See, would she sit in the bath with you? Even if, which isn't always what you want when you're having a relaxing bath as a toddler watching you in it. But <laughs> you're 35 it weeks be, pregnant, yeah, getting in and yeah. out of the bath. You know, probably. something in that might be um, down the road or helpful that, you know, let her see you in the bath, see it's normal. Just trying to really normalise it for her without the demand or expectation that she jump in. Sometimes yeah. children are more comfortable if they can bathe with you in the bath and that can help. There's a lot of things you could try, but I'm also wondering as the weather hopefully starts to improve um, from here on that you might be able to get a little paddling pool supervise Mm. her obviously she's still only two and a half but you might be able to put a few suds in that and make it a bubbly paddling pool and let her splish and splash in that and by the time she's done and you have her dried she's been bathed so it's a lot about going creative with it but patience and perseverance because it's so common at this age we do know most kids will outgrow this it is a phase yeah yeah at the worst possible time when you're 35 weeks oh, pregnant. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. And you don't want to be battling and wrestling with a toddler when you're 35 weeks pregnant anyway, by the way. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, OK. Uh, I have a suspicion the answer to this next question might be similar. Uh, the question is about my three-year-old who'll be four in July, very de- defiant and will do nothing he's told. He's spoiled, really, if I'm honest. He gets sweets, toys from his aunts, grandparents and my brothers. He doesn't want to go to play school and every morning there's a racket trying to get him out the door with his father. He doesn't want to go to his grandparents either and will say, I don't want to go to Nana's and will openly tell her, I don't want you. She's my husband's mother and she gets a bit upset over it. He has a small sister as well who can be he can be very mean to. He won't share and pulls every toy she has off her. As of today, when he's bold, we've taken toys off him and told him when his imp- behaviour improves, he'll get the toys back. It seems to be working okay. He used to hit us and his sister, but thankfully he doesn't do that anymore, as we used to put him on timeouts and told him he lost his bedtime story as a result of hitting that day. But now he's slapping himself on the head and biting his own hand and arm. Mm. I've gotten him books on behaviours, etc. And and going to play school and being a brother. But nothing works. I'm just wondering, is there anything else we can do? He is at the same time a very loving and kind child and does have a great sense of humour. I hate giving out to him. It makes me so upset. Now, yeah, there's a lot here. But honestly, to affect change in this child and as this child is behaving... I think you got to start with yourselves, the grown-ups here, you know, because you say he's spoiled. If you're honest, he gets sweets, he gets toys from all of these people you list. I mean, this idea of spoiling children is a bit murky for me anyway. They don't 
just get spoiled. They are overindulged. They are given everything they ask for and there is an absence of boundaries and limits. None mm. of that is the child's responsibility. Yeah, like absolutely yeah. none of it. So it sounds here that he hasn't in- understood or internalised, not that they consciously go high five, loving those boundaries now at any age, least of all this age. But he hasn't internalised that sense that there's safe, trusted adults in charge who are going to stop him, his behaviour, the situation from getting out of control. Yeah. And that's really, you know, the previous parent was describing terrible twos. That's really actually what is happening around twos. It's their job to seek to defy slash crash through our boundaries. And it's our job to hold them gently yet firmly in place, thinking along the lines of structure over rigidity. So it's not about I'm in charge and because I said so. It's bending without breaking. It's mm. using a flexible mindset here. So he he didn't become spoiled alone. And there's a little bit of, OK, guys, he's three. We did this. If we did it, we can undo it, but it's not his responsibility. And you're going to have to get back to those boundaries and limits. The other thing here, though, Sean, is some of the language as of today when he's bold. Like he's not bold. You know, when our children show difficult behaviour, they're not trying to be difficult. They're trying to show us in the only way they can that they're having a difficulty in expressing emotion. A lot of this, the biting himself, sounds like he has a... as is developmental for his age, but even over and above a very low frustration threshold. Mm. He's flipping his little lid very, very quickly and he's trying lots of things to regulate himself. And so he stopped hitting you, but he's he's still hitting. So when we just focus on what our kids are doing and we say things like don't hit, don't throw, don't bite, and we don't tell them what we want them to do instead, we just leave them with that option. And like, yeah. well, I don't know what else to do with this feeling. And I have no other way of saying, I'm feeling overwhelmed over here. I could do with some boundaries, guys. Yeah. You know, so he's showing you the way he can. You say now that taking the toys off and when he behaves, he'll get them back is working, but it's on the day they wrote. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry now to be cynical, but I feel like it's the novel factor of this that's working and I'd wager you might have sent this in a few days ago it may not be working long term and you know why because he's too young for that kind of cause and effect Mm. behavioural correction thing you know he's going to go how interesting let me see what you're doing with this but he's not going to be like oh I get it I misbehave, I lose a toy, I can earn it back by changing my behaviour. He won't get that, he has to be given it. And that comes to kids his age, like take the example of him, he won't share, which is one thing. No, no, very few children love sharing, by the way. It takes some people their whole lives to work that out, not just children. (laughs) But he pulls every toy from his sister, which is more than not sharing. It's grabbing, it's demanding, it's not even recognising, oh, it's hers. And when I pull it from her, she's going to be upset and that'll be because of what I did. He's not joining those dots. So you're going to say, oh, I know you really want your sister's toy, but she's playing with it now. The next time you really want something, you let me know. And when she's done, I'll make sure you get it. So you're let, yes, you want it. It is hers. Next time, come to me and I'll give it to you. So you're going to have to spoon feed him with, I see you're angry and frustrated and you got so mad you threw that across the room or you hit your sister or took her thing, whatever it is. But you know what? Here's what you do instead. Yeah. Always following it up with that. Um, I think that's a, it, all of that to help him understand his own feelings by reflecting it back to him. But I'd also put in here a little bit of impulse control play, a little bit of stop start go, stop, move, freeze, do a dance off. bit of musical statues is a great bit of impulse control, to be honest with you, because you can dance, but then you have to freeze when the music decides, not when you decide. Yes. Red light, green light, you move when I decide, not when you decide. So there's a lot of taking your cues from the adult in charge that can be done through play. And I think at his age, that is way more effective 
time out's waste of time I hate to tell you at his age because he does not self-regulate so putting him on a time out to think about his behaviour and calm down himself and then come back absolutely isn't going to happen and children don't calm themselves down they are calmed through us so it's about sometimes we might need the time out but they definitely yeah. don't um, and I wouldn't I wouldn't use a bedtime story as a consequence because it's that one time of day when everybody's coming down Yeah, there's lovely physical close proximity you tend to lower your voice the children's books at his age have a nice kind of rhythm and synchrony to them there's a lovely prosodic wind down actually I I think that's going to work against you. It's not punishing him. It's actually going to impact you. I'd keep the bedtime story, drop the timeouts. He's not bold. He's having a difficulty regulating his behaviour. And there are lots of playful and practical things you guys can do that will affect that change in him. It's behavioural correction within emotional connection. Also, she says he's spoilt, really, if I'm honest. He gets sweet stories from aunts, grandparents and brothers. So that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff. But, But it sounds like the, the spoiling has been done elsewhere rather than the spoiling isn't happening in the house. Yeah, that's true, actually. So you could actually communicate to your extended family that you, as you've decided this isn't working and that he's not to be getting stuff all the time, but these are once in a while things. Mm. And you could designate, you know, birthdays, Christmas, you know, special occasions yeah. and once in a while things. You know, you don't want to be too militant on it, but once in a while things. But not every single time he sees somebody, he's getting something. That's I mean, he never gets to kind of want something and ask for it and wait. Yeah. He's just getting yeah. a lot of instant gratification in his life, you know. Yeah, and that's really no good for him. My son turned six in January and still wets the bed at night. He's a big tall fella for six and has to wear uh, the teen uh, night pull-ups at this stage as they're the only ones that fit him without giving him a rash. We've tried gentle encouragement, lifting before we go to bed and we might get two or maybe three nights dry in a row at the very best, but never more. We haven't expressed any concern or need to get rid of the pull-ups, but he's self-conscious now himself, which I didn't want to happen. His brother grew out of pull-ups at the age of four and makes the odd comment. To be honest, we would really like to see him night trained at this stage. Oh, I'm sure you would. And I've no doubt if you did speak to him, and I think you should ask him how he feels about it, he would probably agree with you that he'd like that too. Mm. And you could make him part of the solution. I mean, nocturnal enuresis, as it's, you know, sort of formally described, like even though it sounds, oh, he's six and he should be doing it. Actually, under seven, it's not really treated as a problem generally speaking, because there are lots of reasons that children can be slow to acquire nighttime dryness. For example, there can be a genetic component to it. So if either parent was a bedwetter or was late to night train, that can be a factor. He may have a smaller bladder capacity. He may, his kidneys might be making too much urine at night because that hormone that slows down the production of urine might not be where it needs to be for him. He might be, you know, one of those super deep sleepers that just isn't hearing the body cue. Yeah. And constipation can be a factor in this. So there's so many variables with it, as well as developmental side of it that, and I'm very aware, you know, gentle encouragement is here. You haven't mentioned to him. You haven't expressed any concern. I'm not even sure if he knows he should be doing it. You know that you want him to do it Mm. because actually it's, you know, and I get it, by the way, because not saying it and shaming, they're not the opposites, you know, like absolutely don't shame him. But I do think you could make a collaborative piece now about, you know what, let's start working on this. I do think you should could sorry you should consult your GP even though he's yeah. he's not long gone 6 and your GP might say look let's 
wait till seven. At least it's on the radar medically. And just to rule out that there's no kind of infection or constipation component to this, sometimes a small change can make a big difference with this kind of thing. Um, But if it was to linger beyond seven or even closer to seven, absolutely it should be investigated. Some kids do need extra help with it. It often comes up, Sean, you know, when kids are at an age when... They might be staying over in a relative's house or they might... On the sleepover Exactly. Well, and yeah. also, you know, as a parent who might be changing wet bed linen every single day and wet pyjamas, you do reach a stage of fatigue as well and go, come on, I really hoped you would just get it. Yeah. And the reality yeah. here is, I get why you hoped that, but he's not just getting it. So yeah. you may need to do something more overt, sticking with that very gentle encouragement tone, though, so that you're not teetering remotely into shaming, which I don't pick up here. However, I do pick up a little brother who's developed his capacity, who was four, by the way, but who is pointing out, I don't wear them and you do. So this is time as a family to maybe take a different approach. But my first step would be go to the GP on it. Yeah. My son just turned 12 and is in sixth class. He's very happy, engages well in the schoolwork, but I notice he's a complete follower when it comes to social interactions. He's so easily influenced, it unnerves me. I see him copy the actions of other kids almost immediately, both the positive and the negative. When they're being good, he's good. When they're being mischievous, he's very naughty, which is unlike his natural behaviour at home with us. He goes along with absolutely anything. And I've noticed a couple of times on play dates that other kids are encouraging him to do things that he wouldn't normally do because they know he'll go along with it without question. I worry he's vulnerable to all sorts of outside influences as he gets older and goes into secondary school in September. It's like he doesn't know himself at all and I've tried talking to him about this and encourage him to make his own decisions and stop and think before he does something but he just doesn't seem to get the concept at all. Is this normal? I've enrolled him in an all-boys secondary school but I'm wondering now should I move to a mixed school so there's more diversity around him? Oh, it's a worry, isn't it? You know, I I just think there's something about what you're describing as he's a little bit vulnerable, you know, because he's so easily influenced. Now, I do see, here's now me positive reframing, but I do see he has good capacity for mirroring. You know, he can take on the behaviour. It's a little bit spinning (laughs) here, but I think the reason I flag that is if a child can mirror, they can learn. Mm. And if he can mirror these behaviours of other children, the good and the bad, you can use that to model what you want to see him do because you have talked to him you've used a lot of words to explain it I wonder could you take a little bit of a different uh, you know a different sometimes our kids mirror things I'm just thinking of that as I'm talking because it can be a bit to understand why is it some people behave the way they do or behave differently or think differently or the same to me so the mirroring is a way of kind of imagining themselves in the role of the other person and what it would be like in terms of the school question Sean I think look he may find a mixed school easier to deal with and there's more balance and different mm. levels of activity there. But this in and of itself isn't well, going to fix, fix this it. issue. Yeah, so girls don't are hang getting every... to do stuff as well. Exactly. Boys well. <laughs> you know? So don't hang, you know, your decision just on that. That'll solve it. It won't. I think you could do lots of between now and uh, secondary school, lots of confidence building opportunities. That'd be practicing independence, going into shops for himself, making selections, going to the counter, dealing with people the same in cafes or restaurants 
placing his own order, you know, making payment, those kind of casual interactions mm. with people who are outside of his typical circle, that can be a very good confidence building, giving him pocket money with some kind of boundaries and responsibility as to what to do with it and to see how does he handle those kinds of responsibilities. I think you could also do um, a bit of a playful thing where you pick a variety of topics. It can be things that are in the news or on the radio or just general societal topics. Mm. And you'd say, put it to him and say, tell me what you think about it. How would you feel if this happened to you? How do you think the other person might feel? What would you do if you were in this situation? And brainstorm it out. So you've got those kind of three to four questions. He has a go first. Then you go, okay, here's how what I would think. Here's what I would do. Here's how I would feel. This is what I think should happen in the situation. And you go through it that way with him and pick lots of typical if something happened on the bus to school, if something happened in the yard, if something was happening in a park and you witnessed this, what would you do? In other words, kind of role play it out with him. But in that kind of verbal sparring way, you're using imagination and creativity, but you're getting him to project into solution focused thinking and engage in critical thinking what he thinks, not other people. And just keep an eye on him. If he gets to September and you're still this worried about him, maybe mark the card of the school he's going to, the year head, who can just keep a special eye on him in the first few months until he finds his feet and finds his own little tribe of friends who are more aligned with him and more suitable to him. Let's hope that that happens. Joanna, thanks a million for coming into us. Uh, Joanna Fortune there. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.